Welcome to The How of Business with your host, Henry Lopez, the podcast that helps you start, run, and grow your small business. And now, here is your host. Welcome to The How of Business. This is Henry Lopez, and this is another special listener business question and answer episode. But on this one, I'm going to focus on small business operations. So I've gathered some of the great questions that many of you submitted through the listener survey, and I'm going to answer a selection of those questions on this episode of The How of Business. This group of questions, again, is about the operations side of the business, from what does it really mean to create a process and a procedure to how to hire and retain the best staff for your small business. Please refer to the show notes page for this episode or the description wherever you're listening to this episode. And there I'm going to have an index with times related to each of the questions in case you want to skip to a particular topic or question. And if you have not completed the listener survey, I invite you to please do so. I would greatly appreciate your input on how to continue to make the How a Business podcast even better for you. You can find the link to the survey on my website at thehowabusiness.com. Just click on the podcast link in the menu at the top of the window and you'll see a link to the survey. It takes just a few minutes and I'll continue to select questions from these survey responses and I'll include them in future listener Q&A episodes. And if you want to receive more information about the How of Business, including the show notes page for this episode and how you can continue supporting my show and receive workshop discounts and join my monthly group coaching session through a Patreon membership, just visit thehowofbusiness.com. I encourage you to subscribe wherever you're listening to this episode so you don't miss any new episodes. So let's talk about managing a business, the operations side of managing and running a business. The managing of the operations side of the business is crucial to your long-term success in your small business. And I'm going to start by highlighting some of the key areas or departments that a small business owner should focus on. I encourage you maybe as you're following along here, kind of score yourself on a, a scale of one to five in these different areas and begin to identify where you might need to invest some time or take on a project to improve productivity or implement a tool or whatever it might take to increase your performance in that particular area of the operations of your business. So here are some of those key areas, and I don't think this is an exhaustive list, but I think it's most of the key areas that make up the operations side of, of the business. We have production, the process of manufacturing or sourcing or creating your product or service that you offer. So how do you produce that? Or whether you subcontract for it or do it yourself, that whole process is something that of course is critical to your business. Related to that is your supply chain. So how do you procure, store, and distribute your raw materials, your supplies, your finished goods, if that's what you offer? So it might be a matter of uh, understanding and, and evaluating and improving your vendor relationships, for example. So we have customer support, the entire customer lifecycle or client or patient from their initial contact with us to delivering the product and the service and then the follow-up and the feedback. That entire process is obviously critical to every business and should be probably the first one that you evaluate in addition to how efficiently you make and bring your product or service to market. And of course, for most of us, we don't do any of this unless we're solopreneurs without a team of either employees or contractors or interns. So human resources is a critical area that we need to continuously evaluate in our business. The entire staff lifecycle from recruiting to onboarding to training to ongoing coaching and development 
payroll, benefits, that whole process needs to be managed effectively. And typically what I find is that for most of us as small business owners, we start very small and then we get to a size and we realize we don't really have much there in place formally. Maybe we may not even have a formal review process for our employees. So evaluate yourself in that category and maybe that's where you might need to focus some effort to improve that functional area of the operations side of your business. At a higher level, you have legal and risk management issues. So the contracts that you might use in your business, compliance in particular, if you're in a business where there are a lot of regulatory components that you have to adhere to, risk management at large. So the things that you probably have insurance in place for, what's your exposure there and evaluating that on a regular basis is critical as well. And then you may have facilities and assets. You may not have this if you're virtual or if you're doing something like consulting perhaps you're not going to have as much or any of this. But if you do, got to make sure you're managing and getting the most out of those assets that you're protecting and managing and maintaining those assets and also depreciating them the right way and making the right investments in additional equipment and assets, anything from a piece of machinery to a vehicle that you might have in your fleet. We also have information technology. So there's not a, a single business that I know of now that doesn't leverage some kind of technology, ideally. And uh, more and more, there's an opportunity, of course, to apply technology to help us be more productive, more efficient, to better serve our clients and our customers and our patients. So it's important that you manage that. Now, this is often an area where I find as small business owners, because we may not have that expertise in-house and you may not be ready or at the point where you can justify bringing on a senior person in that area, you might outsource that. And that's a very common approach to that. So you might have outsourced IT services or an outsourced consultant that helps you with your IT needs. And that's typically the most efficient way to do it for a small business. Similarly, with finance and accounting, while we always have the ultimate responsibility to know what's going on financially in our business, including monthly reviews of a P&L and perhaps a balance sheet, maybe receivables, but all of the, all that's included in finance and accounting from budgeting to financial statements to invoicing and payables and tax filings, all of that is of course critical to the ongoing success of your business. And again, it's another one of those areas where it's very common and recommended that you outsource at least components of it. Initially, it might be a bookkeeper and then eventually, and of course, having a CPA to help you with annual taxes and ideally on a regular basis to provide you with tax planning and guidance. But then you might also go the route, which is becoming more and more popular of an outsourced CFO, because you may not be at the point where you could justify the salary of bringing on a CFO, but can certainly get the value and the input of that level of person by outsourcing that or, or going with what's called a fractional CFO model. So understanding and evaluating, hopefully as you were going through this, even if it's just mentally, hopefully you made a note of which one of these areas on the operations side of the business you might have some weaknesses in or some areas for improvement. And then what I recommend is that you identify, all right, what can you do? What project, what initiative, what task, what tool, what can you do to drive some efficiency, some productivity? Maybe it's, maybe it's an area that hasn't even been documented. Like I mentioned, for example, you may not even have a formal review 
review process. So identify those things and then identify what's most important next. And maybe next quarter, that's an initiative that you and your team take on. Don't try to do it all at once. Identify what's most important next. And that's how I recommend that you'll see continuous progress of the operation side of your business so that you continue to operate as effectively and profitably as possible. So now on to the questions that many of you submitted. The first question I'm going to address was submitted by Josh. Thanks for submitting this question, Josh. And his question is, what does it really mean to create processes and procedures? Does everything have to be written down in a formal format? Great question. And there's a lot to this. So I'll try to provide some general guidance here and then an opportunity for more learning, uh, an episode in specific that addresses this topic of creating systems. A process and a procedure can mean anything from a checklist that guides us through the steps we have to complete to do something to a more formal operating procedure, standard operating procedure, or it might be a, a video that shows us how to do something. It really depends on who needs this tool, who needs this procedure or process, who's using it, who's executing it, and what's the best method to communicate that to that person. So that's what I want you to think about, and that'll drive what's best. I often like a combination of, of both a checklist and then a more detailed procedure where that's appropriate. But where I like to start for a particular process that has no documentation is to create what I call a high-level process map or a flow chart. So let's talk, for example, if this had something to do with uh, customers, with the customer journey, I would start by documenting at a high level the primary steps of what happens, how does a customer first engage with us, what happens, how do they do that, how do we respond to them, what are those high-level steps in that journey, and that's usually a great starting point in my opinion, to visually see what the steps are and then begin to identify where there are constraints or problems or the need for efficiencies in that process. So again, anything from a checklist to a video to a formal standard operating procedure or whatever you call them, it just depends on the situation. And no, everything does not have to be written down in a formal format. Capture it and produce it in a way that serves you and your organization. I have seen so many detailed manuals written that then end up just gathering dust and nobody reads them or very complex procedures that may be necessary, but then they're so difficult to follow that nobody refers to them. And so maybe they're good initially for training, but not so good to support the ongoing performance of that process or that task. So keep that in mind. Again, you might have a formal procedure, but one once somebody understands the detailed steps, they might just need to refer to a checklist to make sure they don't forget the critical steps in that process. So as it relates to this process map that I'm talking about, I'll use PowerPoint because I'm familiar with it and it's easy, or you might use Google Slides, but lay out those high-level steps in that process. And again, then identify where you need to add more detail because it's an area where there's a constraint or a problem or the process breaks, or we always forget something or something gets dropped or falls through the cracks. Then you go in more detail in those areas and create a more detailed version. Overall, as you're creating systems, which is really what we're talking about here, my recommendation is always that you start 
simply at a high level. Don't try to boil the ocean as as the saying goes. Take it a step at a time. Start with, as far as where do you start? You start with those most critical processes and procedures and systems. The things that impact your operations the most. The things that impact your customers or clients the most. Start there and remember that as you create this documentation, as you create these systems, whether it's a checklist or a standard operating procedure, you're creating version one. There's no such thing as perfect. Ideally, these documents or videos or whatever it is that you create to document how we do something within our organization are going to evolve. Otherwise, I have found very few environments where it stays the same forever, right? So ideally, don't look at it as a perfect document, just the first version and then the next version. And as you use these tools, you'll make them better and better. So include in your process a a note to yourself or an alert or a reminder to review it maybe a month later or six months later or a year later to see what has changed, what needs to be updated. How are people using that particular procedure or document or checklist that you created. So I want to recommend episode 242 of the How a Business podcast. On that episode, I talk more about creating small business systems. So listen to episode 242 if you haven't already to learn more about small business systems. The next question comes to me from William. William actually lives in Accra, in the country of Ghana on the African continent. And I hope I pronounced that city correctly, Accra. William, thanks for reaching out. I'm fortunate to have quite a number of listeners in Ghana. So thanks to all of you in any African country for that matter, for tuning in and listening to the How of Business. But William's question is, what are the duties and responsibilities of the CEO? Great question, another big question. And I'm gonna take that title CEO meaning me as the owner, as the CEO of my small business, not in a corporate sense. So as the CEO of my small business, what are my primary responsibilities? And so here's my take on it. I, I don't know that this is perfect. If I have a larger business where I have key team leaders, then some of these things might have been delegated to those people. I still would have high level overall responsibility, I think. And if I've got partners, we might divide some of these responsibilities if I've got equal partners, co-CEOs or co-founders. So keep that in mind. Uh, Number one is vision and strategy. So as the CEO of your small business, you're responsible for setting the company's your business's overall vision, mission, and strategic direction. That might include developing and implementing strategic plans to advance your business's mission, and obviously to focus on growth, to increase revenues, to increase profitability, to expand to other markets. So that vision, where do we go next, which is really difficult because we don't have a crystal ball, most of us, that's a key responsibility of a CEO of a small business. Then operations and management. So here we're focusing on questions related to operations. And as I highlighted at the beginning of this episode, those functional areas of operations that all report up to the CEO. Again, depending on the size of your business, you may have leaders in those areas or you might have 
someone who's responsible for operations that then reports to you. Nonetheless, there's operations and the management of operations. So overseeing the daily operations to ensure they align with your strategic goals that you set for the business. And that also includes the hiring and leading at least of senior team members. Again, depending on the size of your business. If you have a smaller business, you're definitely critically involved in the hiring process and the leadership of your team to help it operate and grow. You have financial oversight. And if you've listened to the How a Business podcast for any length of time, you know that this is a big topic that I have covered often. We cannot relinquish our responsibility on the financials just because that might not be a strong area for us or we're not good with numbers or we don't know how to read a PL. We've got to learn. We've got to get the help on that if we need it. But we are responsible as a CEO to oversee the company's financial health including budgeting, financial forecasting, risk management, all of those things to ensure that the financial goals of our business are being met and to make pivotal decisions on investments, on cash management, on price increases, for example. So you definitely should get the help of your CPA on this. And as you grow larger, as I mentioned earlier, you might consider bringing in an accounting manager who reports to you, perhaps your big enough now to bring in a director or a CFO, or as I mentioned, engaging a fractional CFO to provide you with that outside guidance to help you manage your business. Of course, as a CEO, as the owner, as the, as the chief person responsible for the business, you've got stakeholders. We use that term stakeholders to include, maybe you have investors, maybe you have key partners or key suppliers uh, that are depending on you to manage the business in a certain way. You've got certain agreements perhaps in place. There's certain expectations that you have set. So you have to manage those relationships. You may have to manage the public relations of the business. You have to act typically as the main spokesperson for your company which means representing the business to clients, especially key clients, to the media when necessary, and to the public when necessary. This is Henry Lopez with a brief break from this episode to share a special offer from our new show sponsor, Relay. Relay is an online banking and money management platform for small business. As a small business owner, you need banking that's truly built for your small business. No more fees, no minimum balances, no more bookkeeping problems come tax season, and no more branch visits to complete basic banking tasks. Now you can take control of your money with Relay, an online banking and money management platform that puts you in complete control of your cash flow. First, there are no account fees, no overdraft fees and no minimum balances, which means you get to keep more of your hard-earned money. And Relay is the official banking partner for Profit First. So you can set up multiple checking and savings accounts and automate their percentage-based allocations using smart transfer rules. Relay also allows you to make unlimited payments via ACH, wires, or checks, earn interest on every spare dollar with Relay savings accounts, provide secure read-only access to your accountant and bookkeeper, and speed up bookkeeping with reliable bank feeds that sync directly into QuickBooks Online and Xero. Best of all, it takes less than 10 minutes to apply online and it's absolutely free. And as a special offer to the How a Business listeners, sign up for Relay using the link on the show notes page for this episode and you'll also get $50 added to your account once you fund your new account. You can find the link to the show notes page in the description for this episode. Relay customer deposits are FDIC insured through their partner bank, 
Thread Bank, member FDIC. Please see the show notes page for this episode at thehowabusiness.com for more details. Related to all of this is decision-making. As I like to say, I think to be a successful entrepreneur, we have to embrace and we have to want to be the ultimate decision-maker. If that's not you, if you don't like to make the big decisions, then you may not be ready to be a successful business owner. If you'd like to learn more about this topic, I recommend that you listen to episode 245 of The How of Business that I entitled Two Responsibilities Small Business Owners Must Embrace. All right, so number six on my list is culture and team leadership. So a CEO, in addition to the leadership team, is responsible for establishing and fostering the company's culture and vision. So you're you're the guide that develops, and you set an example as well, to develop that culture that is critical to a successful environment, a successful business environment, especially as you grow. And again, another episode on culture, because uh, I've done several episodes on culture, but in specific, I recommend episode 436 on small business culture. If you want to learn more about some tips and advice on how to create and nurture a culture in your small business. Then there's business development. I mentioned this at the beginning of the episode as well. It's our responsibility as the owner, as the CEO, to identify and tap into new business opportunities, to oversee the development of new services or products, and make the decision as to which direction we're going. Those are critical decisions that the CEO ultimately must make. Episode 471 uh, is an episode I would recommend. I had a conversation about risk management with a gentleman by the name of John Moreland, and he shares some great insights. We talk about what are some of those areas of risk that we need to be aware of? How does insurance play into that? So listen to episode 471 for more about risk management. So those are, at a high level, what I think are some of the primary duties and responsibilities of a CEO at a small business. I'm excited about my next question because it comes from Lisette. Lisette is uh, not only a listener, but also my cousin. And so thank you, Lisette, for listening to the show and for submitting this great question. Her question is, how to hire the best talent? Where do you look and what does a small business offer to keep this talent? So great question, another big question. To begin to answer your question, Lisette, it really starts with, if we think of the employee life cycle, and subsets of this apply to contractors as well, but I'm going to answer the question as if it was a W-2 employee, and then you can adjust it uh, relative to whether it's a contractor or not. But it starts with a well-defined job description. This is a step that I see often gets skipped. So clearly taking the time to define what are the duties, experiences, characteristics, personality traits, and those key critical must-have components uh, for this position, for someone to perform well and to be successful in this position. So all of the required skills, experience, personality traits, all of that important criteria needs to be put to paper in a job description. And then a version of that becomes the job posting, right? So usually you have two separate documents, one which is your internal document, and then a more salesy version of that, which is the job posting. But before you do that, you've got to research compensation and make sure you're being competitive if you expect to attract a talented person, especially in our uh, employment market now, and it'll probably continue. There are just less workers available, and they may already be employed with a good job. And 
And so you've got to be able to provide uh, an offer that is attractive, that gets people's attention so that they might be interested in coming to work for your organization. So are you competitive from a pay and benefit perspective? Of course, dependent on what you can afford to offer in your small business. So there's a financial analysis component there to determine what you can afford to pay for this position. For the job posting, I think the critical thing there is to make sure you sell the prospective candidate on why they should consider your organization. And I'll tell you that this is a shift that's occurred over the last 10 years or so. And when I used to think about hiring or posting a job 20 years ago, because I'm an old guy, it was all about putting forth obstacles or uh, having the candidate have to convince me as to why I should hire them. And that, of course, is still part of the process. But what we have to do now in this different labor market is put forth an enticement. What is it that is that I should consider about why I should join your organization as a prospective employee? Then identify what are those most important qualifications so that you can prepare some good interview questions, some good things to look for as you qualify that candidate. And so leverage and learn how to ask good questions, uh, interviewing techniques. I think that interviewing is as much a science as it is an art, but we can get better and better at it the more we do it and the more we become a student of it and learn how to ask good questions. I'll tell you that one of the key things that has helped me is this concept of identifying what are the three to five most important qualifications that you're looking for, and then ahead of time, preparing questions or clues to look for that'll help you determine if they've got these most important qualifications. That does two things for you. It helps you prepare good interview questions, because I know if you're like me, you kind of can kind of get sidetracked or distracted or start to like the person and then you forget to ask those hard questions and that doesn't serve anybody. So preparing good questions related to those most important qualifications, I think will go a long way in helping you hire the best talent. As it relates to questions, one thing that I've learned and was taught to me is try to ask questions about how did they do something? How have they handled a situation in the past? as opposed to how would they? In other words, make it so that they offer you and provide you an example of how they have done it, not a hypothetical about they how they would do it, because that's easier for people to tell you perhaps more of what, what they think you want to hear. Now, as far as keeping the talent, it starts from day one. How do you onboard someone? Uh, obviously, you could argue it starts from the interview, but when that person shows up, how professional and organized is your organization to onboard them? Or are you clueless and it's obvious to that a new employee that uh, you didn't even expect them to show up and you don't have a plan for how you're going to train them? You're just going to throw them to the wolves and have them learn on the job. There's no process or procedure. There's no rules. And so nobody wants to be in that environment. We all want to do, I think, mostly the right job, but we need to be told what the job is. We need to be told how to do it. We need to be invested in to learn how to do that role, that function, that job. So that onboarding is critical. The time that you spend training them, coaching them, developing them, and giving them an opportunity to learn is critical. It'll be critical to retaining the best talent. Good people will not stay very long in a, an environment that's chaotic, where they're not being invested in, or they're not given the skills training or the time to learn how to do something, those people 
tend to go elsewhere where they are invested in. So after the initial onboarding and training, there's got to be continuous coaching and feedback. You've got to recognize them when they do something well and give them the right coaching and guidance when they're not performing in a particular area. So it's some sort of not just ongoing, but a formal review process is critical in my experience and opinion. So make sure that you're giving them feedback. And if we go back to the role of the CEO, the owner of the business, we need to make sure that we're creating and nurturing an environment where individuals in the organization have an opportunity to contribute. They understand how they contribute in their role. They can feel and understand the impact they're having, not just on the company, but on the customers and clients and patients and community that you serve and provide an opportunity for people to develop, to improve themselves, to develop skills. You want to foster that positive culture, a positive and fair work environment, you address issues as quickly as possible. All of that combined is what I think leads to allowing you to hire the best talent and to keep that talent with you as long as possible, contributing and exchanging value. There's a whole series of episodes, as I mentioned, on employees. And if you'll just go to the archives page, so when you go to thehowabusiness.com, click on the podcast link at the top menu, and then go to podcast archives, and then look for the employee episodes, group of episodes, and there you'll find a list of episodes. Everything from hiring through terminating, and most recently, episode 476 that I released on the topic of employee performance management. The next question is submitted by Andy, and it's related to employees as well. The question that Andy asks is, how do you determine if your longtime employee is really what's holding you back, even if they're a key role player in the day-to-day -day work? Big question, and a lot of small business owners find themselves here for all kinds of different reasons. Maybe maybe it's someone who started you for, with you from day one, and, and they're critical, and they've contributed a lot to the business, but now there's an issue, and, and you're overlooking it, perhaps, or allowing it to happen because they're so critical. Or it's someone who's responsible for the operations or a particular department, and only they can run it. And so eliminating them or having them leave would be uh, significantly impactful to the business. So there's all kinds of reasons why as small business owners, we often find ourselves in this situation. If you'll notice, for any of you who might have come from a corporate background in larger corporations, they typically don't allow this to happen. And there's and it's for good reason. Larger corporations have figured out that that's an exposure that we can't allow to happen. And so we have redundancy. We have documentation and systems. And, and of course, it's a larger organization. So you can have redundancy for a particular position. No one person, if they walk out the door, walks out with the recipe for the entire business or a portion of the business. But in small businesses, that's often the case. In fact, it might literally be the person, the only person who knows how to make the donuts. So this is critical and it's a great question, but I would have you think about these points and these things if you are in this situation. I mean, at a high level, my answer to you is that if you're asking this question, you probably already know what the painful answer is, which is that person has to go. Of course, the challenge is they need to go on your terms, not their terms. But you have to take control of this. Otherwise, it will be on their terms. Otherwise, they will continue to some degree hold you hostage, if you will, that they know you need them more than they need you. And whenever that imbalance happens, I have found with, with a team or team members, that's not a good place to be. It's not a good place for you to be as an owner. Ideally, 
the situation that we have is there's an exchange of value. We need each other. When there's an imbalance there, that usually leads to a problem. And ultimately, the thing that it does is it harms your culture and it can harm your productivity. It leaves you tremendously exposed if and when that person finally has to go or decides to go. So what do we look at? Well, I would start with uh, formally assessing, even if it's just for yourself initially, their performance. What, what is their productivity, especially compared to, if possible, other employees and their outputs and efficiencies? So has it declined over time? Has it always been that bad, but you've overlooked it? How could you possibly measure it to see if you can quantify the drop in productivity or the poor productivity by comparison? What's the quality of their work is another thing to look at. What What uh, is the the issue there and document that again, even if it's just for yourself to help you make that decision. And if there is a performance issue, is it something that you've addressed? Have you tried to improve it? Have you coached them? Have you given them a formal review? Maybe it's a more sensitive relationship. Maybe this is a partner or somebody who's very senior or a related person, a family member. So that makes it a lot more difficult, but that happens often in business. This is one of the challenges with making sure that we have clearly identified and delineated roles when we do go into business with family members or friends. But nonetheless, for the business to continue, for you to continue to have peace of mind, for the business to grow, you've got to address it. And that's probably why you asked the question. So try to put some metrics to it, to, to try to look at it as objectively as possible as to what's really going on. You want to evaluate their, their soft skills as well, their leadership skills, their communication skills. Is that where they're lacking now? Maybe it wasn't as big of an issue when you were smaller, but now it has exacerbated because you have a bigger team and they're not great at leading people. You know, I'll give you an example, which might be completely unrelated, but I often found in sales that great, excellent top performing sales individuals often get promoted to being the sales leader and manager, but that might not be where their skills lie and they're terrible managers. But now you've promoted that person because they've quote unquote earned it, but they're not performing like a manager should, like a leader should. So identify that, where, where is the issue? You gotta consider the company culture. So do you have a culture that's positive or because you've had this person or multiple people that maybe fall into this category, they have hijacked the culture. So you've got to look at that. You've got to look at morale. One of the most detrimental things about leaving that person in that capacity, not doing anything about it is how it devastates the morale of your company and of course the culture of your environment. So get some feedback if that would help other members of the team. And you might have to be delicate in gathering that. You might get outside help with this. Maybe, you know, a consultant or a coach or someone else can help you with this, with evaluating this and giving you a perspective. I often do this for my coaching clients where I can provide that third party view once I've had a chance to analyze and understand the situation. And sometimes that's what we need because we're too deep into it to make a uh, uh, decisions that are not emotional, but get that feedback, do some assessment, maybe listen to vendors or customers and ask them to share some honest feedback on what's really going on. And then you've got to take action. I know that sounds easy and simplistic, but if you've determined that this person really is a problem, that this person is causing an issue, that they are holding you back, even though they might be 
a key player, you've got to take action. And again, I suspect that you might already know that, but you don't know how to go about taking action. So develop a plan. What is the plan or course of action? I certainly recommend that if you haven't already, and maybe you do it again, is you have a sit down with this person face-to-face, one-on-one, discuss the issue and is and is uh, as professional a manner as possible. Having a, an adult conversation with that person and put on the table here are the issues. Try to not let it get emotional. If it helps, maybe having a third person in the room that can kind of help keep it from getting emotional or getting heated, that might help if you think that's necessary, if you anticipate that that's where it's going to go. Put together a plan though of what you see happening next and then start to take action. Again, the pros, uh, if we look at the pros or the advantages of doing something, what I have found is that Almost every single time, either I have taken action like this on a difficult decision to let someone go or to move them into a different position or to take away responsibility because they're not performing, I have found that as painful as it is initially, after the initial shock and pain of it, you look back and you say, that was the best thing I've ever done. I should have done it sooner. Other people are looking at this. And if this has been going on for some time, I tell you, just getting rid of this person isn't going to fix the problem. You're going to have to do some real damage control and improvement over time to regain the trust of your team to know that you're going to do the right thing. So as I said at the beginning of answering this question, do it on your terms. What's the plan? How will you replace this person? Can you begin to cross-train someone? Can you document as much as possible so that you've got systems in place that'll make it easier to transition to another person? Now, of course, as you do all of this, you have to make sure you consider your HR responsibilities and any legal implications. So if there's any of that involved, make sure you get advice there, either from your HR counsel or legal counsel to make sure that you're covered and you don't do anything that'll get you into some legal situations. I hope this episode has helped you, whether you're starting or planning to start a new business or have started your business and are looking for ways to continue to grow your business. Operations is, is of course, critical to that and making sure you operate as effectively and efficiently and productively as possible. And thanks again to Josh and Lisette and Andy for submitting these great questions and to all of you who have completed the listener survey. Again, if you haven't, I encourage you and invite you to please do so. You can find the survey at thehowabusiness.com. You'll see it on the homepage as well as on the podcast page. I wish you all the best as you start and grow your successful and profitable small business. This is Henry Lopez. Thanks for joining me for this episode of The How of Business. I release new episodes every Monday morning, and you can find the show anywhere you listen to podcasts, including The How of Business YouTube channel and at my website, thehowofbusiness.com. Thank you for listening to The How of Business. For more information about our coaching programs, online courses, show notes pages, links, and other resources, please visit thehowofbusiness.com.